Ion 2020 episode 274. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. This is your all-coronavirus, all-day show i on 2020 that's what i feel like is i get obsessed about things when when it comes to looking things up when it comes to researching things when it comes to studying things i become obsessed with it my wife will attest to that for sure that whenever i get really focused in uber focused in on something man do i get just uh laser focused and just reading and reading and reading and just trying to find out as much knowledge as I possibly can, which is a good thing for something like the coronavirus. This is a good thing for a lot of a lot of other subjects as well, but it can really seems like it overtakes my life sometimes and I get only focused in on it and then I start just reading everything I possibly can, which is, you know, at least I'm knowledgeable and that's good. And I'm going to try to pass some of that knowledge on to you guys today because pretty much Ion 2020 has become a coronavirus show. That's what it seems like to me. I was focusing in on the election. I was focusing in on the Democratic primary, the Libertarian primary, or there's not really a Libertarian primary, but the Libertarian party. I was focused in on the Republicans. I was focused in on just all things election. But now the year 2020 has become the year of the coronavirus. And for decades now, going forward, we will look back on 2020 as if we look back on 9-11 or we look back on Pearl Harbor or we look back on any defining moment within the United... or even the 2008 financial crisis. Like, we'll be looking back on 2020 as the year that our government pretty much shut down everything due to a virus. And I wonder how future generations will look at it. The key, though, is this, is future generations will look at it however it's being portrayed now is what it really comes down to, I think, because the history is being written now, and people remember only the history, and those that come beyond us, like those that come after us, will look back, and they'll only read what the historians are writing today, essentially. Uh, and the way that they're per- the way they're portraying it today, because what's portrayed today, what's per- the way that people perceive things to be today, is the way that it'll be written. And one day you'll have people come back in and say, "Hey, you know what? There were some doubters about whether these activities that the government did, the the, acti- the things that people did to prevent the spread, were good or bad." Uh, there'll be people that do that. But um, here's kind of the first focus I want to talk about today, though, about this coronavirus thing. So. You hear the idea that says you got to, we have to um, flatten the curve, right? You hear that constantly, and everyone says, oh yeah, that's why we have to stay at home, That's because we have to flatten this curve, and that's kind of the going, The go. that's what they say all the experts are saying, that all the experts say we have to flatten the curve, but I think that there is some... Some, there are some experts out there, there are some public health officials out there 
who say something different. There is actually probably a lot of people that say something different because there's more than one way to skin a cat. And some people dispute whether flatten the curve is the best approach to go about it. Anyway, so let me talk about one other approach that I've heard people say, and you know I'll give a critique of it as well. So some people say that you shouldn't look to specifically flatten the curve, but to protect those that are the most vulnerable. For example, you do have retirees, you do have uh, people that are over 65, you have people with autoimmune diseases, you have people with pre-existing conditions, you have people with lung cancer, you have people with lung conditions, you have people that have um, pneumonia, you have people that have bronchitis, you have people that have asthma, tons and tons of different conditions out there, and those are the people that are most susceptible to die from this, especially those that have like autoimmune diseases, those that are on immune suppressants, and those that are over 75 years old. I think they said that 90 or 89% of people that die from this are over the age of 65, and there's like 0.2% that are under 40 or something like that. I guess it's just a very minute number of people who are under 40. So do we, we, some people say that we need to develop a herd immunity to this thing. The herd immunity is the idea that if you get 50 to 60% of people that have already had it, then you're mo- less likely to come in contact with somebody who has it because most of those people that you come in contact with, if you don't have the immunity already, most people that you come in contact with have will have already had the, the virus. So if 50, 60, 70% of people already have the, have the immunity to it, then that's when you start developing some herd immunity to this particular disease, especially if it's at the level of one, like if I'm one person, I could spread it to two or th- like one or two people. If it's, if it goes above that, then you need a higher, um, herd, like higher numbers of people that have immunity to it already. But this one seems like it has about a two. If you have it, you're going to spread it to two, maybe two and a half people. So they say if you get above 60% of people that have had the virus or are immune to the virus, then at that point, you develop some sort of herd immunity to this thing. So some doctors say, or some health professionals say, because I've been reading a lot about this, that the idea of just locking everybody in cages and telling them to stay home and doing what we're doing now might not be a good thing because, yes, we will flatten the curve for the short term, but as soon as they let everybody out, we get another hump. Boom. And then, and then what do we do? We shut it down again. And then we just keep on doing that until finally over a year or 18 months, we finally developed the herd immunity that we would have gotten in like a month or two or three otherwise. So this is what some other public health officials have said, and I've read it, and they're trying it in Sweden, they're trying it in a few other countries, and they did try it in England as well, but a really, um, they've tried it in several different countries, and... I mean, I think it's even going on in Japan like that as well, because you don't see Japan doing a lot of lockdowns, and they have a very, they have a very, um, a very steady increase, but not like the exponential increase that we're having here in the United States or or in other places. Now, America's having an exponential increase because of New York, and New York's such a highly populated area, and it did get out of control there, so... But there are countries that have very dense populations like Japan where maybe they just have a cleaner culture or something like that. Maybe they don't really shake hands that much. Maybe they don't get into people's, you know, into the people's personal space too much. I'm not sure exactly why it is. Or maybe they're just not testing as much. Who knows? 
but maybe they're not focused in on testing as much because they're only testing the people who are the ones that I'm going to the hospital for, but they're just saying, you know what, stay home if you're sick. That could be it too. That might be why, because there's only a certain percentage of people that actually go to the hospital for this thing. Like, I think it's about, um, you know, two or three percent of people that get it end up going to the hospital, or it might be a little bit more than that, but um, very few end up in, in the ICU per se as well. So, we developed the herd immunity by what they, what some professionals say is that, hey, you know what? Stay away from old people. Stay away from people that have. Um, compromised immune systems and then at that point we could also let those people know that they need to stay home and so forth and not locking everybody up not shutting down the entire economy they say that that would develop the herd immunity a little faster that would end up protecting those people who have compromised immune systems and are in high risk categories in the first place that's one step there's there's a few other ideas that i've heard as well but the one that we're doing now is that the best solution well that's the solution that allows the government to have the most control is what we're doing now. And that's the least libertarian of the solutions, what I see as well. For example, like right now you have, they were talking about over the weekend, locking down New York, New Jersey, and and Connecticut and having like a quarantine zone where they don't allow people in or out. That's a very statist type solution. That's not a very libertarian solution, right? Um, You have governments today who are arresting people for leaving their house or going into group gatherings or going to work. You have people that are private citizens who have their own business that cannot open them up because of the law that's been passed. <clears throat> like a barbershop, for example, like the, uh, hair salons, nail salons, and things of that nature, where you're not having groups of gatherings of you know, 50, 60 people, uh, you're probably going to put a lot of these people out of business because of this. So we're looking at a situation right now where a lot of small businesses are going to be going out of business because of it. Who does that benefit? Well, think about this. Starbucks, for example, is considered a company, or is is a very large company, you guys know who Starbucks is, but it's considered a company that's allowed to stay open, right? It's one of those companies that they're allowing to stay open because it serves food, it serves coffee. Other coffee shops, same thing. They're allowed to stay open. But in this situation, they're not having the same amount of traffic as they normally would. So the president of Starbucks says, you know what? Anybody who works for Starbucks who is, you know, one of our partners, I think is what they call them. If you're a partner of Starbucks and you work for Starbucks, you do not have to come to work if you don't want to. And I'll still pay you for 30 days. So is that going to keep all the Starbucks employees from staying or staying home because they're going to take advantage of it? Probably not. But other companies don't have the ability to do that. Smaller coffee shops, local coffee shops, smaller, you know, these mom and pop shops or these, you know, business owner, you know, someone that's like 30, 35 decide to start a gourmet coffee shop and so forth. You have all these really nice places that are all over the country and they don't have the same buying power. They don't have the same assets. They don't have the same ability to borrow. They don't have the same access to capital that a huge multinational corporation with stockholders and all that as Starbucks is. You don't have that with these smaller smaller coffee houses, right? So what you end up having is a situation where these smaller coffee shops, they're going to be more likely to go out of business. 
the longer you keep it shut because people aren't going to work, so they're not stopping at the coffee shop to get coffee. So 50, 60, 70% of their normal revenue is, is, is gone. They've already lost thousands of dollars now. They're still trying to pay their employees. They might have laid people off. They might have cut people's hours, whatever. But they're still, still going to be struggling. And that's going to happen in every single industry across the board as this keeps on going up forward, as the government keeps shutting people down, as local governments and state governments keep shutting down entire states and keeping people from working, keeping people from going about their normal business. So could there have been a better way? Well, the politicians tell you that all of the public health officials say that we need to flatten the curve, that we need to have lockdowns across the board. That's what they're saying. But is that true? Is that indisputable? Are, are they all in unison saying that? Are there any outliers? Or are there any public health officials that say anything else? I guarantee there are, because there are in other countries. There are in America. You hear it pretty regularly. So what do we do? Do we trust the politicians? I mean, right now it's a power grab in some ways. For some, for a politician, for example... Like most people think in their minds, because I see it on Facebook all the time, I'm part of a one of the local news channels, uh, I see their Facebook posts, and I'll hear it all the time, these people say, they'll, they'll mention should South Carolina have a complete lockdown, and you'll hear the people on there, or they'll hear it, but you'll read it on there, people saying, yeah, we need to lock everybody up, we need to keep everyone from leaving their house, put them in jail if you have to. And, like, they're so concerned about everybody else. But why don't they just stay home? You're concerned about everybody else. But people are willing, at this point, it seems like to me, they're willing to give up. Give up their freedom, their liberty. They're willing to because a bunch of politicians say that they should. A bunch of politicians are calling it a health emergency, which... Is it a health emergency? That, that's the biggest question. There's been a little over 2,000 deaths in America. There's been a two or a hundred, as I'm saying right now, 140 something thousand cases in America of the coronavirus that are confirmed, not all of them, because I've heard that 75, 80% of people leave, leave hospitals and doctor's offices that have symptoms of coronavirus and they're not getting tested. But America is doing 100,000 tests a day now. It's been ramped up from like the 15th on. They've been doing 60,000, 70,000, 80,000. Now they're up to 100,000 tests a day. Yesterday they did 96,000. The day before that they did 107,000. The day before that they did 108,000 or something. So it's been, they've been doing tests like crazy, almost a million tests so far. But they're not testing every single person that comes into every single doctor's office with symptoms. They're testing those who are the who meet a certain criteria, and that's about it. They're getting to the point where they want to start testing everybody that they can, but they're not there yet, and they I don't know that they will be. But here we are. We're listening to politicians declare a health emergency, and that's the other thing I want to talk about today. Was is this if this is a health emergency, that's fine, but does that mean that the politicians? can take away 
our constitutional rights in every health emergency. Should they have that right to be able to do that? Should they be able to suspend the Constitution in some ways? There's not free movement of people right now in America. You are confined to your house. If you go into the city of Columbia right now, you don't have a reason for it. If you're not an employee who has the papers, because my company actually gave me papers. My company gave me papers. It says I'm an essential service author. It says it's an, an essential service authorization letter is what it's called because I'm in banking and finance. Essential service authorization letter is what I was given. If you don't have your papers, you'll be arrested driving around downtown Columbia, South Carolina. Are you kidding me? We don't have free movement. We're told what to do. We're told not to open up our businesses. We're told not to go to work. And if we do, we get arrested. Is that not suspending your constitutional rights in a public health emergency? Do, do politicians have the right to take away your constitutional rights? Are they, do they have the authority to take away your constitutional rights? Only if the people go along with it and only if people don't sue and try to get those back. In a public health emergency, you don't really have time for that, right? So let's say they go back to normal in like a month or two. Everything's back to normal. The precedent's been set though, guys. That's the problem. The precedent's been set. How often do you hear politicians running for president say that there's a health, public health emergency, we need to ban guns. There's a public health emergency, we need to give health care to all people. There's a public health emergency, we need the government to do this. There's a public health emergency, we need the government to do that. There's a public health emergency, we need to take away this right. There's a public health emergency, we need to take away that right. Like, they do it all the time. They throw that word public health emergency around because it opens people's eyes. It gets them scared. It builds up fear. And what better way to get elected is on fear, right? So the politicians are running on it. They get elected. And all of a sudden, they start declaring public health emergencies for all kinds of things. And the precedent has been set already once that in a public health emergency we could shut down everything we shut down stores governors go shut down all those gun stores because there's a public health emergency we need to stop it we need to shut down freedom of speech we need to shut down what we really need to do and there is shut down all mass gatherings because there's a public health emergency so we cannot have that protest on the streets this week. We need to stifle freedom of speech because we cannot let these people get together because there's a public health emergency. The precedent's been set, guys. The precedent has been set. Today, and for the next several weeks and months, as this so-called public health emergency continues, politicians will use it in the future. It's an erosion of the rights of an American's by them doing this. It might not happen next year. It might not happen in five years. But they might. I bet you there's a public health emergency now. I bet you within the next five years there's another so-called public health emergency that they do something like this with. And then it becomes more of a regular thing until it is used not just for legitimate, because 
you could say this is a legitimately a public health emergency. I'm not, I'm not okay with what they're doing in order to alleviate this public health emergency, but you can say that this is a public health emergency. You could say a really bad year of the flu is a public health emergency also, so then they start using it every single year, and it might not be this year, it might not be next year, it might not be five years from now, but it might become a yearly thing down the road in 10 years or 50 years or 100 years where our children and grandchildren and those that go go past that slowly have an erosion of their freedoms over a year, 100-year period and so forth. We're not thinking about future generations at this point, right? We're thinking about the immediate need. So the public health emergency that they declare slowly erodes that right until finally everything's a public health emergency and we need to make sure that people are not eating hamburgers from McDonald's and we need to actually regulate all of the, the, the food that people eat so that they can eat the healthiest diet that they possibly can because that's a public health emergency. Oh, we need to make sure everyone's out there doing calisthenics every morning at 5 because it's a public health emergency. We need to stop heart disease. And how are we going to do this? Well, we need to take over people's lives and make them eat healthy and make them exercise. And we need to force it. It's a mandatory thing. Is that a public health emergency? They can declare it. If the precedent's been set today, then they can declare it. People's minds start being okay with this. It's the government's job to protect our health. Because the precedent's been set. So that's what we need to work on, guys, is making sure that we let people know that this is not okay, what they're doing in a public health emergency. Yes, the government can lead on those things. The government, the people that are elected, they can push for certain ideas. They can educate people towards certain outcomes. But can they use force? Is it okay? Is that something that we should set a precedence on? That they can use force? That they can... That they can arrest people? That they can force people to shut down their business? That they can stop trade? That they can stifle free speech? That they can stifle group gatherings? Well, they've done it in this health emergency. What makes you think they would not do it in the future for much less of an emergency than we have today? That's all I got for you guys. I appreciate you joining me. This is I on 2020, your coronavirus headquarters, until we finally start seeing a little bit of news going on with regards to the election. I don't see much of anything right now. All I see with the election specifically is I've heard Jacob Hornberger. He's getting pretty vocal on Twitter and on Facebook, um, just kind of calling out the government for its inadequacies. That's great. That's something that we should be doing the government's mishandling of some of these things that's what something you should be doing that's good that's the only politician i really see out there that is doing it i think there's going to be a small debate here and there every so often but they're probably eliminated a lot of group gatherings in the libertarian movement as well which is fine that's probably a smart thing um just because we don't want to infect our grandma man i mean i that's my biggest thing is make your own decision be a person who is going to do the right thing and stay away from people that might have Sicknesses might have the susceptibility to be sick. That's something you can do that's smart. Uh, this is not a fake virus. This is not a big conspiracy. This is a real thing. But what we need to do is um, 
call out our government for doing things wrong, the things that it's doing that is wrong in this particular health emergency, right? Uh, but thank you for joining me. This is Ion2020. Give me a five-star rating and review if you like what you hear. I always appreciate that. If you're listening on like Apple iTunes, it's easy to give a five-star rating there. Uh, you could also review the show if you like the if you like you know the content that you're getting. Uh, you can follow me on IonTheEmpire.com. That's also if you type in I Am the Empire on Facebook and on Twitter, I'm there as well. So check me out there. I do post uh, pretty pretty often lately. So uh, hopefully you enjoy that as well. And then you can email me at Ray on the Ray at I Am the Empire as well. And then the best thing you can do though is come on back Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020.